Hello? There we go. There we go. You know what? The XLR cord wasn't plugged into the mic. Tyler, how does that make you feel that we missed the absolute most basic aspect of preparing for a radio show? I thought I was so prepared for this morning. <laughs> I felt ready. I felt good about everything. Well, you know what? What I did is before I left yesterday, I unplugged the XLR cord. Sure. Just, I don't know. Like, I was, I was kind of like... <laughs> I was prepping the studio. I was moving mics around because we had some people in the studio. Sure, sure. And I was like, uh, I don't know. I'm just going to unplug the XLR cords. And look what it did. It bit me in the butt. Well, you know, I went in and plugged. I plugged the other end into the board like it belongs. And I plugged my microphone in and plugged it into the board. I just missed one very crucial step. You sabotaged me on purpose. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hello. I'm I'm back. You're back. Yeah, I guess I what I wasn't on the last two shows. You were not, um, and it was Jeffrey Short filling in. Yeah. So uh, thanks to Jeff for sitting in the hot seat uh, while you were gone. That was a <laughs> that was a good time. But welcome back from Interdrone. You were at Interdrone uh, in Las Vegas last week. It's good I to have was. you back, Daniel. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Interdrone was a great time. We had so many great interviews, including uh, DJI's director of public safety integration, Romeo Dersher. Yeah, um, we played five minutes of that interview on Friday. Yeah, so yeah, that was a really informative, really interesting look, just kind of at the the current state of the drone industry for sure. And I definitely encourage everyone to go listen to our interviews with Drone Up to learn a little bit more about the future of uh, the drone industry's business models. Um, listen to our interview with Drone Sense to learn a little bit about how public, uh, no, more like how law enforcement specifically is using drones in their day-to-day and how they're dealing with public perception issues Um, we've got a lot of other content on the way from inner drone as well we're not done it's going to be exciting to watch all that roll out for sure all right so daniel it is september 11th welcome into business casual the uh the dow is up 74 points as you wake up this morning the nasdaq down three points the price of oil is at 58 dollars a barrel obviously this is um a somber morning, uh, just kind of in the history of our country. I know you were uh, pretty young when September 11th, 2001 took place. I was in eighth grade. Mm. Um, and it's just one of those days that anytime the date rolls around, you feel the weight of that particular day. Um, as I, I think it's been burned into the, the consciousness of both of us, just in, in different ways, depending on our age. But um, it, it's always... I suppose a, a somber reminder of something that took place in our country, and you remember all the people that lost their lives on this day 18 years ago, and so uh, so we certainly uh, want to recognize that as well, just kind of right off the top of the show. Yeah. Um, all right, coming up on the show today, we do have Sergio Avedian, and he is the senior contributor for the Rideshare Guy. We have some news coming out of California, Daniel, some legislation uh, that you've really been following and tracking that could have huge ramifications for Uber and Lyft yeah. out west. Yeah, and we got, uh, we got some news on on a vote so we're gonna i'm gonna tease that here i'm not gonna say (laughs) if it was yes or no yet uh you might already know but we will talk about that here in a little bit that's gonna be really solid we've actually got another story out of california about their solar energy that we're gonna be chatting as well so it's a it's a california heavy show it is a california heavy show (laughs) and right now we want to talk about some new tech that mcdonald's has acquired daniel let's hit it i love mcdonald's i love 
everything about it, honestly. No, but I'm just kidding. No, but uh, okay, so McDonald's has been one of those companies that over the years has kind of stuck to its business model. It sticks to what it does. The Big Mac has been around forever, but McDonald's has acquired an AI company to help automate the drive-through process, and it's the third tech deal that they've made this year. So after a long time of not making any acquisitions, any mergers, almost 20 years, I believe, McDonald's has agreed to acquire Apprente, which uses artificial intelligence to understand speech to help automate that drive-through process. Now, it's estimated that McDonald's does 70% of their business through the drive-thru, and so looking to automate this process certainly seems to be interesting. So, technology can also be used uh, not just in drive-thrus, but also be used in self-order kiosks and the mobile app. So, I ask you, what do you make of this deal? Well, I mean, it's pretty interesting to see um, that McDonald's is putting such a focused emphasis on technology all of a sudden and I, I think it makes sense. I think when we look at where the fast food industry is going and how um, how automation and general convenience for the consumer has already made its way to the kiosks that you use when you order, um, and kind of how that has refocused the human element of fast food service, um, I think these rollouts really stack onto each other. So, you know, we had Dynamic Yield, um, which was a personalization platform that stretches across all different platforms, like you said. And really what Dynamic Yield is aiming to do with McDonald's is create that sort of intelligent uh, touchscreen mm-hmm. ready drive-through experience. Yeah, and Dynamic Yield really unifies across all platforms, right? So it's right. not just siloed information like, oh, you're on an email list, you're on a text list, right. you use our mobile app. It kind of brings all of that under one umbrella and then kind of brings it into your in-store experience at McDonald's. Right, well, it, it, think of it this way. Like, I think all this technology, really what it's trying to do is continue to remove friction from the mm-hmm. consumer experience. So with the drive-through, there is still a sense of delay and a sense of kind of, oh, this is an ar- archaic way for me to order my food, even if it is more convenient than stepping inside because you kind of roll up to the often like super faded menu that's been <laughs> out in the sun for 10 years. Right. You're reading the information. You then pull up to the next little booth. There's a, a horrible little microphone on there and speaker. You're trying to scream into it sure. you know you're trying you're trying to understand if they're even repeating your order correctly sometimes there's no screen for you to like even monitor am i getting my order correct here and so like mcdonald's already has at least the one next to where i live has a pretty big screen yeah um and it's pretty straightforward like what it is you're going to order but a lot of this technology i i talked about this on a podcast with um acrylic they're a digital signage and pro av company Basically, they're trying to roll out technology that uses Bluetooth mm-hmm. and uses your uh, like your Bluetooth information either from your phone or your car to log you as a customer as you roll up to the window. That's fascinating. Or, or as you roll up to even order. And so that way, it knows, welcome back, Tyler. Mm-hmm. Would you like a... Double quarter pounder with cheese and a 20 piece again? Sure. Sure. Well, you you see this where everybody is trying on some level to uh, kind of personalize that experience and make it it memorable, make it good, make you have, I I think, fond thoughts about that particular place so that you're more likely to show loyalty to them as opposed to going back somewhere else. Like the Chick-fil-A app. 
does a great job of rewarding you for buying lots of Chick-fil-A. And we have a Chick-fil-A here in the building, but it's kind of down, um, not so much in the building, down kind of in the tunnels underneath the building that kind of connects a couple of different buildings here in downtown Dallas. And if you order it online and hit prepare my order when you hit the elevators here at our on our floor, by the time you make it down there, it's sitting there ready for you. And mm. it's just this fantastic experience, Delicious. right? Delicious. Where you don't have to wait in like the 30-person long line that stretches almost out the door. You can just walk up, grab it, and walk away, and everyone looks at you in awe, right? And, and right. it remembers the orders that I've ordered recently, so I can just go hit reorder that. Yep, I'm done. So it takes all of 30 seconds. All I have to do is get down there. And right. so I, I think that having those types of positive experiences creates repeat business, creates positive, uh, you know, fondness, I guess, in the brain that creates loyal customers. Right. Well, yeah, and and that is another example of removing the friction from the ordering process. Um, but I think even in the drive-through, you know, like I, I think this technology is going to elevate that even further because in the example you gave, there is still the general barrier of downloading an app. Sure. And I, I have read some research on it, and I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it's it's basically that like consumers are downloading an average of like zero new apps every year or something. Mm-hmm, like people mm-hmm. just don't really like the barrier of having to download an app, learn the app, and utilize it, even if it's literally a hundred percent more convenient than what you're already doing. Yeah, I got to type in my password. I right. got to go confirm and say yes, I do want to join the rewards exactly, program. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, and so this technology, you know, it's obviously a totally different thing, but drive-through focused tech. I think the experience is already meant to be the mm-hmm. most frictionless aspect of fast food service. So why not continue to make it more frictionless? Why not make it an experience that feels personalized, that feels like it remembers your order, uh, feels like it can quickly show you information that's relevant to the time of day, yeah. um, you know, to that general area? It, it, it's, a, I think, a step in the right direction. And it's cool to see McDonald's set this, um, this tech and kind of business model precedent, honestly. Yeah, yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. Another aspect of things that we're keeping an eye on is Shopify. Now, Shopify is an e-commerce platform. Um, They describe themselves as uh, that they offer online retailers a suite of services, including payments, marketing, shipping, and customer engagement tools to simplify the process of running an online store for small business. And so, Uh, That's kind of what Shopify does. They're run out of Canada. Well, in June, they unveiled the Shopify Fulfillment Network, which gives merchants cheaper shipping, warehousing, and packaging services. So this is kind of an Amazon competition almost play. Well, to kind of further that idea, the company announced an agreement to acquire Six River Systems, which is a provider of warehouse fulfillment solutions and automation robots Hmm. for about $450 million dollars. $450 million. That's a lot of money. Yes. So Shopify uh, may be competing with Amazon a little bit here when it comes to that fulfillment aspect of things. We've seen Walmart and other uh, other retailers try to dive into this space, but Shopify really was born out of the same, I guess, world that Amazon grew out of, just starting in that e-commerce space and working with small businesses. Can Shopify kind of become at least an alternative for small businesses if you don't want to sell on Amazon the Shopify really gives you some backing that you need to actually carve out a space for yourself in this retail landscape I mean yeah I feel like the concerns we always hear about Amazon I think are best contextualized when they're brought from the perspective of the small business owner yeah it's that we literally cannot compete with the prices Amazon can put up on their site 
because they have an infrastructure that allows them to undercut their prices and basically subsidize their retail portion of their company through their other services that are actually profitable, right? like their Fire Stick, like Amazon Prime, other, other services like that. So they're able to basically lose money on their retail service, mm-hmm. drive prices down, and draw business in that way. And small businesses really struggle to compete with that. Yeah. So I think this, this platform from Shopify and the way that they're trying to maybe re-empower the small business owner to feel like they don't need to go to Amazon to have a, a thriving e-commerce um, presence, yeah, I think is is very interesting, and I'm definitely a fan of it, personally at least. And I'm interested to see how this affects what Shopify is able to do. You know, what what are the tangible effects of having, you know, a a provider of fulfillment solutions and automation robots? Like, what does that do for their overall warehouse operation, that kind of thing? I don't know that we're going to ever get hard data on that necessarily, but that's definitely something I want to keep an eye on just, okay, what does this do for Shopify moving forward? How does this uh, expand what they're able to able to offer. And so I'm certainly curious. I know I've seen Shopify up uh, just kind of when you go to various websites and you go to buy things, Shopify will kind of be the the end part where you're filling out your payment information and right. that kind of thing. So I, I know I've seen it. So I'm curious to see if that increases or if I'm just more conscious of it now. But that's definitely something I'm, I'm watching for moving forward is is just how this changes Shopify's visibility in the in the marketplace. For sure. Well, and also it's just if anything, putting the resources of Shopify on the same level as an Amazon, because Amazon is already getting a lot of um, a lot of advantages from having automation sure. and gen- you know fulfillment robots and um, general technology, just helping make their warehouse process and their delivery process more efficient. Um, Shopify. I think partnering with Six River Systems for um, making their supply chain more automated um, and making their back end more efficient is really just, I think, getting them even closer to forcing us to have that conversation on is Shopify going to pose an actual you know, threat, if you want to get dramatic, to Amazon's kind of stake in retail? And will their resources really be able to empower that small business owner? Um, I I think it's at least a step in the right direction. I mean, you know, sure. give everyone the access to the technology, give everyone access to this sort of efficient uh, warehouse revolution that we're starting to see. Um, and then from there, you know, you can really focus on the business models and the, the technology and, and things that... Um, will actually, you know, differentiate you as a as a company or a business. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, we're gonna step aside. Step aside. Take a thirty second break. When we get back, we have. Excuse me. We're gonna be talking Uber and Lyft Ooh, yes, with we Sergio are. Avidian. So stick around for that. That's coming up next here on Business Casual. Boom. Have you ever thought to yourself, podcasts are pretty cool. I should use one to market my company. Good news, you're not alone. But where do you start? MarketSkills Thought Leadership Club makes it easy to dive into the world of B2B podcasting. With in-house podcast production, audio hosting, and more, MarketSkill can be your podcast partner that sets you up as a thought leader in your industry, creating the content that powers B2B. For more information, head to MarketSkill.com and find out what thousands of companies already know to be true 
that podcasting is the future of thought leadership in B2B marketing. All righty. So we have to cover some of the biggest news to hit the gig economy in a while. So if you haven't been following along, California has been debating AB5, which is a bill that will essentially uproot Uber and Lyft's business model by requiring drivers to be classified instead of independent contractors as full-time employees. And this could have a ripple effect on the rest of the gig economy as well. Uber and Lyft have fought back hard on the bill, uh, claiming it would get rid of the flexibility that makes their platform so popular for gig workers. They've Mm -hmm. invested uh, millions of dollars into a ballot measure to um, oppose AB5. And AB5 finally went to a vote. It went before the California Senate, and they voted yes. AB5 has officially passed... Now it has to go to the assembly to uh, approve some amendments that were added to AB5, and then it has to hit Governor Newsom's desk. He just recently released an op-ed basically in complete support of the measure. So I think if it gets to Newsom, it's probably going to get signed, and I think we are going to see AB5 become law starting January 1st, 2020. So let's talk about the effects of that. Then. Yeah, and we're going to be chatting about it right now with Sergio Avedian. We're bringing him back. Uh, he's the senior contributor for The Rideshare Guy. We had him on recently to talk a little bit about Uber's expansion in Dallas, but we couldn't get enough of him. He's back chatting about AB5. Sergio, great to have you on. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good morning. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Great to have you on again. So, Sergio, uh, this news came in relatively late last night. What do you think of the verdict? Uh, I think it was as expected. Um, I was actually watching it live from the Senate floor, and uh, it was a party-line vote, 29 to 11. Um, It's pretty much as expected, as you correctly said. It's going to go back to the Assembly, which all expectations are that it's going to pass there, and then back to Governor Newsom for his signature, which has to be done by this Friday, but... uh, uh, over the past couple of weeks, he has announced that he is in support of AB5. Previously, he had stayed on the sidelines. Um, so I think it's going to pass. And what do you think worked um, to kind of help put this in uh, the public eye and get the state to rally behind it? Well, um, Senator Gonzalez from San Diego, who is the author of the bill, has done a great job about it. Um, uh, look, I mean, the new gig economy has had many benefits, obviously. Uh, according to Forbes magazine, 57 million people in the country uh, work for one or multiple gig economy companies. Wow. But I think um, a lot of the public does not know about independent contractor versus employee issues and how certain companies literally abuse their workers. Um, you know, it's about time that it just comes out to the light and 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 Brian Gonzalez, to be honest with you. Yeah, definitely. So how do you think this will affect um, other states' approach to changing or regulating the gig economy within their own jurisdictions? Oh, hey there, Sergio. I think we we may have lost you here on the line. Um, I all right. Is he still connected there, Tyler? We may have. 
May have lost him. I'll try to get him back. Okay. Well, while we uh, try to reconnect him here, yeah, I mean, this is this news is, is pretty interesting. Uh, I mean, the, the main reason why it's appealing to me or why it definitely caught my interest to start is because I, I really think, you know, you saw the pressure put on these companies. Um, they responded with a lot of, no, 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 we cannot do this. This cannot happen. This is going to destroy our business model. And yet it's still passed. Um, and it seems to be a step in the right direction for the workers in the gig economy. Now, I'm just really interested to see how this is actually going to affect the business models themselves, uh, You know how this is going to change Uber and Lyft moving forward. Um, they've proposed the idea of uh, even introducing a new kind of worker that basically is kind of in between an independent contractor and an employee. Sergio, looks like we've got you back on the line. Sorry about that. So, Sergio, again, wanted to to field this question your way. How do you think states are going to approach regulating the gig economy moving forward uh, within their own states? Well, uh, California being obviously one of the largest states with a massive gig economy uh, employee population, uh, I think a lot of states will, will follow, but uh, after... Uh, Yesterday's vote, last night's late vote, I tweeted as, let the games begin, because, <laughs> you know, passing the bill is one thing, uh, putting it into uh, action is going to be something completely different. As you correctly stated, Uber, Lyft, and Dash, uh, DoorDash have announced uh, $30 million individual budgets to take this to the public as a referendum. Uh uh, it's going to be a fight. I mean, I don't think anybody is going to lay down, although $90 million uh, is chump change compared to what kind of market valuation these companies are trying to protect. It's kind of a hedge against this. I'm not sure if it's going to really work out. Um, this kind of thing happened in Austin, actually, a few years ago when the city of Austin require that all their drivers, all the rideshare drivers, get fingerprinted and go through tougher background checks. Literally, Uber and Lyft picked up and left. But then they were able to pass their own laws and then come back stronger. And now, right, Austin is practically out of business. Hmm. Um, Look, it's going to be a fight. Nobody's going to lay down on this. However, passing a revolutionary law like this uh, could be a turning point now. Right before this, I'm not sure if you guys are aware or not, Uber offered um, some last-minute solutions to this. Um, They offered a $21 uh, minimum wage. However, most people missed the small print, which was $21 per booked hour. And with utilization rates running about 50 55% per driver, that, that ended up being about $13, $14 an hour gross, plus some benefits, which they did not specify. So it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a long-term uh, action. But I'm pretty sure Uber and Lyft have to come to their senses and start paying their drivers uh, what they deserve. But we'll see. We'll have to see. And then last question on this. Do you think this could ripple out beyond Uber and Lyft. Do you think this is going to have any sort of tangible effect on the way the gig economy operates in general? I think I definitely think it will. But um, look, Uber and Lyft employ, or whatever you want to call it these days now, 
uh, close to two and a half million drivers in the U.S. alone and think globally. But let's just think the short term. New York, without having a law like AB5 um, through their TLC commission, Taxi Limousine Commission, has passed caps on new drivers, a minimum wage law. So the major states are, are doing this. And uh, obviously Uber and Lyft have the most amount of gig workers. And uh, it, it definitely will ripple down to other gig economy jobs. All right, Sergio Avedian, thank you so much for joining us on Business Casual this morning. We'll definitely have you back on for more updates on AB5. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's really interesting. I'm curious to see Isn't what it? the ramifications of, of all of this is going to end up being, especially, I loved that last question that you asked, just about, you know, what happens when this spirals out? There's no way this stays just isolated to California, right? No. I mean, no, definitely not. This is basically setting a precedent, I think. I think it's going to honestly transform the gig economy. And if uh, if Uber and Lyft, you know, like, quote unquote, lose this fight and um, California really does move forward with making Uber and Lyft operate within uh, a more conventional business model. Yeah, I think it's going to show other states that this is the standard now. Um, and I, I think for the workers, if they can keep the flexibility of these positions um, and kind of keep what's intrinsically exciting about it. Um, I think it's just going to be a win for the workers and probably will encourage more people to want to drive for Uber and Lyft. On the other hand, though, these are already companies that aren't profitable. Right. Yeah. And no, like not profitable at all. Yeah. In fact, losing money. So yeah. on the other hand, can Uber and Lyft actually survive this? There's no way they, they can in the state of California without passing along more cost to the consumer, right? Right. So, well, I mean, that, that and that's one of the big complaints for sure is that yeah. it might pass it off to the consumer. So then you have to ask the question, uh, you know, should it even exist? <laughs> and then at that point, like, will another company roll around that will play on this changed business model to make it, you know, to, to basically bring an Uber or a Lyft to market that can find profitability within this different business model. Yeah, how good-natured are the people of the world, I suppose? Like, are right. you willing to pay more while acknowledging that more of that money is going to a driver? Does that make you feel better about it? Or in the end, do you just want to be able to get from the bar back home safely on a Friday night and you're... I don't know. You, you just want to do it for as little money as possible. Yeah, man. So. You're, you're getting into the psychology of consumer habits here. Speaking I like it. <laughs> of consumer habits, Daniel, one of the biggest consumer habits is following the announcements from Apple about the latest <laughs> iPhone technology. True. And we had big announcements yesterday as iPhone 11 was announced. There were three different, uh, I believe, variations of that uh, to go along with it. Some of the big uh, stories to come out of it were that Apple says that the new glass on the front and back of the iPhone 11 is the strongest glass ever to be used on a smartphone. So hopefully that doesn't uh, that means fewer cracks when uh, people drop their iPhone. I suppose. Have you ever had a super cracked up iPhone because you dropped it a bunch and that sort of thing? So I had an iPhone 4s. Um, that one never really got a crack. It might have like maybe the corner chipped a little bit. That sure. just got slow. And it was time to upgrade. So then yeah. I got a 6S, and I had a 6S for about two years, mm -hmm. and I would drop it all the time, yeah. and yet it always survived. I was like, <laughs> wow, I am like the the oddity here. Everyone always right? has destroyed phones. Some about what I'm doing, you know, I'm just as careless, but 
you know, and yet, and yet, my phone is still fine. And then I went to a wedding. Uh, I was getting out of a car in Austin, Texas. Oh, no. And my phone dropped like three feet yeah. max. Yeah, yeah. Very small. And it was a light little. Mm hmm. But it fell on some brick. Oh. And it hit a weird angle. And I was like, this is this is it, isn't it? Flipped it around. Annihilated screen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just in pieces, chunks falling off unusable you can't like swipe it without just slicing your fingers exactly <laughs> unusable oh so uh, i learned now i have a glass screen protector but let's hope the iphone 11 i mean strongest glass ever if they're gonna lean into having glass on the front and back of these phones now like you have to make it strong enough to survive people's clumsiness yes unless it's designed to be a little faulty, so, you know, they get your money on the repairs, too, right? I suppose that's possible. They also, uh, they've upgraded the cameras. There's some new camera functionality, and as you go up, you know, the XR and that sort of thing, like the the other editions of the iPhone 11, kind of as you expand up, right? I think there's three different uh, three different iPhone 11 uh, models, and I'm trying to find the exact details on that, but um, well, let's I, see. I, iPhone 11, there's the iPhone X, no, iPhone 11 Pro and then mm. iPhone 11 Pro Max. Oh God! Whoa! So three Pro different, Max. yeah, three different levels there. But uh, the cameras kind of upgrade as you go up, also. Right. And then Apple's next generation A13 Bionic chipset is the fastest CPU ever in a smartphone. So there's that as well. I wonder, are people as plugged in and as tuned into these things as they used to be? Like, is it is it as much of a necessity to go out and get the brand new iPhone, or are the are the updates and changes so incremental at this point that it's kind of removed the necessity to be like, I have to go get this next edition? Have people kind of, I don't want to say wisened up to it, but yeah. have we kind of left that generation where people are going to wait in line to get the newest, the latest, and the greatest because the changes at this point aren't life-changing. They're just, oh, hey, that's nice. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, I think you've got consumers that love the new yeah. And if you've got the money to spend on it, I think people are going to drop the big bucks. But I also think the changes that they are making are appealing to a certain kind of person. Like when I see the announcement for the iPhone 11, the biggest thing they're selling is the multicam, mm-hmm. especially the triple cam now that's going to be <laughs> on, on the Super Pro Max, whatever. Um, I... I feel like it's just another representation of how content and how media and how content creation is being really democratized and yeah. really being put in the hands of just about anyone. And anyone can now create a multicam, wide angle, cinematic looking video on their literal phone. Right. Like, grandma can do that now. What does that mean for the future of high-quality content? How do you begin to continue to differentiate yourself when the consumer can almost create content that looks just as good as, you know, maybe your Sony, your old Sony A6000 or something, right? Yeah, yeah. The future favors maybe not the the people that have that advantage of having great equipment, but maybe just the more creative, the more interesting. Right. The people that can connect with an audience better are going to be the people that that survive and thrive in this new generation. Right. Or maybe the fact that Apple's pushing for these kinds of tech increases, and that's what they're... um, you know, kind of putting their emphasis on for every next generation 
maybe that is going to encourage more people to find access to content or to even be interested in creating content. You know, it, it could have that kind of ripple effect. It certainly could. Daniel, that's all we have time for today.